Good evening. This is your host, Howard Kravitz. Welcome to episode 142 of the HHH Racing Podcast. I've been doing this podcast for almost a year and a half, and especially to those of you that are brand new to the show, I'm going to start uh, today's 142nd episode in a way that I have never done before. The events of uh, today that happened in Texas um, hits home with me as a 25-year high school educator. And what I would ask you all to do is allow me to speak for just two or three minutes about what happened today. Um, I'm not going to be getting into politics. We're not going to talk about laws that should or shouldn't be changed. There are other podcasts for that. Uh, this is a horse racing podcast. That being said, if I don't say something, I feel like I'm complicit into this horrible epidemic that we have in this country right now. So allow me to speak for a few minutes. I'll bring on my co-hosts. They will have the opportunity to say something if they like. And then we will talk about what I was hoping we'd talk about tonight, which is a very cool new logo for the podcast, of which my esteemed co-hosts are part of, Pete and Paul, and about the Preakness, and to take your questions, because I care very much what you have to say, whether you are watching live tonight, or whether you'll be listening at home later, and I want to hear all your horse racing questions. But to be very honest, that's just not on my mind right now. Let me just say this. I... Earlier today, when I was at school, I'm a high school math teacher. I've been a teacher for 25 years. I saw some students uh, try to get into our building, uh, into an entrance they're not supposed to. And some other students opened the door for them. Nothing happened. Everything was fine. But they were doing what they weren't supposed to do. And coincidentally, and this was before the events of what happened today in Texas, uh, I immediately went to, that's unsafe. That's not good. Someone could come into our school if our students are doing that illegally. Um, there are no words to what happened in Texas today. It's horrific. It's horrible. It's a parent's worst nightmare. And it's continuing on and on and on and on. And if those of you at home don't want to hear me talk for a few minutes and you rather turn off the video, or if you're listening to this later, that's fine. I can accept losing a few uh, viewers for tonight's pod. I frankly don't care. This has to be said, and it has to be discussed, whether it's a horse racing podcast, a podcast about cooking, basket weaving, I feel the need that I have to say something. We have to change. This country has to change one way or another, and I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, in the middle, don't care about politics, hate everyone that's in the Senate and government. I respect everyone. That's the way I was raised. Anyone that's seen this podcast knows that I respect everyone's opinions, whether I completely agree or disagree, and I will continue to do so. But one thing is for damn sure, this cannot continue to happen. We can't continue to have school shootings. And the answer is not, let's just homeschool everyone. That's not the answer. And I'm sure many of you listening tonight have a lot of great thoughts 
and ideas and solutions, and we are not going to talk about those again. That's not what this podcast is about. All I want to say is I'm hoping and praying sometime in my lifetime that this country can come to their freaking senses and we can have common sense legislation, whatever that may be. Does it have to be every gun should be legal to we have to take all the guns away? Does it have to be that extreme? Does it have to be death penalty for everyone to let's just have probation for people? Can't we come to some type of common sense laws to protect our children? It's not about us. It's not about the adults. It's about the kids. And I've been teaching for 25 years. And I would say 80 to 90% of the kids that I have in my classes that are screwed up either emotionally, educationally, whatever, the vast, vast majority are because of dumbass adults and parents. And if you're a parent, I'm not criticizing you. There are, the majority of parents are awesome and fantastic. But as usual, it's the adults that F up the kids. And the kids bear the brunt of it. And today, it wasn't just only kids. It was also a teacher. And it could be me the next time. It could be your kids. It could be your grandkids. It could be someone you love. <sighs> so hug and kiss your children, your, your, your grandchildren. Hold them close tonight. Tell them you love them and just pray that nothing happens because we need to change in this country. Otherwise, I don't know what the hell we're doing. That's all I want to say. I'm going to bring on uh, my esteemed co-host right now, uh, Paul Halloran, Pete Visco, and also uh, we are joined tonight by Kyle Roscoe. Gentlemen, thanks for uh, joining me tonight on what's a really pretty tough day for a lot of people. Paul, um, I just want to tell those of you at home who might not know everything about our our co-hosts here. Uh, Paul works in public relations, and Paul, you have school districts that are your employers. I can only imagine this situation would be your worst possible nightmare short of involving your own children back in the day. Pete, I know you have a son that is the same age as some of the kids that were involved in the shooting today. And Kyle, you're probably the first generation of people that from day one in kindergarten or first grade had active shooter drills just from the very start. I can't even imagine what that was like. So gentlemen, I'm going to let you say something or say nothing. You know that I love you guys and respect you guys either way, because again, I don't want to get into, we could have a whole five hour conversation about how we need to change things in this country, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. Paul, uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, the, the floor is yours for a minute if you'd like to say anything. Yeah, sure, Howard. Thank you. Very well put by you. And obviously, I think you could probably relate to it uh, uh, better than the rest of us being in a classroom. I mean, I've spent uh, my share of time in school buildings. Not, you know, not a lot, but uh, I do work with some districts. And, uh, you know, I suspect that probably tonight or tomorrow I'll be drafting some type of communication for my superintendents. You know, every superintendent is going to feel obligated to to send something home. But, 
you know, frankly, what do you say, you know, to, to your point, you know, what, what do you say? What, what do you say that hasn't been said? You know, this takes us all the way back to Newtown, Connecticut, you know, and, and what are we thankful that the ones in between Newtown and now, which have been dozens, if not hundreds, haven't been, quote, as bad? You know, and, and, and I won't get political either, Howard, but I will say this. We talk about odds on this show every week, every show, right? Talk about odds, how to beat the odds, how to better our odds, how to get value. I'm going to talk later on about me being very upset about not maximizing the value on early voting, whom you and I love, Howard. But it would just seem to me that if we know, God forbid, if someone is intent on wreaking that type of havoc, it is virtually unpreventable. I think we know that. It's been proven, okay? Then why wouldn't we want to at least better the odds that if there were fewer opportunities to wreak that type of havoc, i.e. with that type of machinery, then wouldn't that at least increase the odds? And that is a bare minimum, a bare minimum. But if we're talking about odds and we're talking about having something be virtually unpreventable, whether it's a school building, a movie theater, a subway, uh, you name it, then as a minimum, shouldn't we at least try to increase the odds by decreasing the opportunities? And, And I'll leave it at that. My only response to that, and again, I, I don't have to give my political views, but I'll just be very honest with everyone at home. I'm really more in the middle. Sometimes I lean left, sometimes I lean right. It really depends on how I feel about certain things. But I did hear someone today say, why strengthen gun laws when those criminals are just going to break the rules anyway? So then why even have stoplights? Why have any laws at all then if that's, if that's how we're going to live our lives? To me, that's just, again, I don't mean to throw my opinions on people but that just seems completely asinine that thought uh pete i i hope you don't mind me just bringing up your son i know you know i'm sure he, you know he's a great kid and i just i gotta be honest i was as i was thinking about the beginning of the show i thought about your son pete because he's about the age of the oldest kids that are in that school i just i can't even imagine um how you or other people would have felt especially parents of kids who are uh you know that age yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you get to the point where you try not to think about it because you can really get consumed by it too much and, and yeah. you have to compartmentalize as much as possible. And it's one of those things where, yeah, he'll come home or we'll get an email and say they're doing a, they're doing a drill, quote unquote, today. Yeah. And it's one of those. And, you know, it's not like we tell them everything, but we tell them enough to know. And you just cross your fingers and hope that nothing happens where you are and you, you're sad for the people where it does. But, I mean, again you can only do so much. So I try not to get too bogged down in the things that I can't control because then you'll just be miserable every day. So I don't want to bring myself down, bring my family down or, or bring everyone else down. So I try and just, you know, you plug away and, you know, keep your fingers crossed. Uh, Kyle, you, and by the way, those are wanting, where's Jim? Has, has Jim officially been kicked off the show? <laughs> uh, no, for everyone that <laughs> knows, we love Jim. Jim has uh, had some uh, family obligations with his daughter who moved out of the state uh, for the last week or two. So Jim Pilares will be back on the show. Uh, no, Kyle did not permanently replace Jim. We all love Jim. We'll have Jim back on. 
Um, Kyle, I don't know if you'd like to say anything, but you're in the unique circumstance, like I said, of being much younger than, than the three of us, thankfully for you. Um, you lived in a different generation, a different time. Um, were you thinking about anything today? Do you want to comment on anything at all? I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you were first, you know, like I said, very well spoken from you at the start. And yeah, I mean, yeah, ever since I was five, six years old, I've been trained in what we called lockdown drills where everyone goes in the corner and stay out farthest away from the doors. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been a part of my life for, like you said, my whole life. So, I mean, it's, it's sad to know that, you know, I don't know anything different and it's, um, like you said, whether whatever way it has to go, and you know, definitely something has to be changed for sure. Yeah, I remember. I actually remember very well the first active shooter drill as a teacher, and uh, I mean, you're prepped about it. And then one particular time, they this was a mistake, but they police came through the hallways and actually like sort of banged down the doors to yeah. like simulate, but they didn't give us a heads up on that. And I had a few kids this high school. I had a few kids that were upset. I mean, they were crying, and I, I felt mm-hmm. awful. They knew it was a drill, but that. They weren't ex- just that right. drill trauma. Yeah, we had that uh, as well one year. I can't imagine. Anyway, um, again, uh, we're gonna get we're gonna talk about uh, the Preakness a lot of cool stuff tonight. But uh, guys, I just I, I I I have this very small platform. We have this very small platform, and as a school teacher, especially who cares a lot about kids, and we all do, I had to say something tonight. So. Um, Thank you for uh, participating in our short discussion because um, in, in the long run, who gives an F about which horse should have gotten the lead or which, I mean, all that matters is your health and your family. I mean, that's all that really matters in the end. I think I, don't, I, I would doubt anyone would disagree uh, with that. Uh, at the bottom of the screen, uh, and again, thanks to all of viewers who are watching tonight. On the bottom of the screen, you can see we have a live chat uh, podcast next uh, Thursday. This Thursday, we're at Billy Koch. From the west coast of Little Red Feather Racing, very excited to have him on. He's a great, great guy, great personality. They've had a lot. They've had a lot of uh, success, and we're gonna be handicapping Santa Anita. To be honest, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure exactly what we're we'll be talking about because they have some major stake races Sunday and especially Monday Memorial Day. But I don't know if the entries are gonna be coming out soon enough. So um, if that if they don't come out, we'll be talking about the Saturday races at Santa Anita for sure. And Pete, also, I just wanted to show. Um, if you don't mind, I'm just going to show just the first slide um, of something we talked about. Pete's going to just very briefly talk about something that our race day blog uh, uh, subscribers will be receiving very soon. So as if you need more reason to subscribe to our fantastic race day blog, there it is at the bottom of the screen. Uh, Pete Visco has volunteered uh, to do a little project for me and you folks who will be part of the race day blog only. So Pete, we teased this last week. Why don't you just go ahead and, and tell people uh, what we're going to be doing. And I'll just show a little snippet of what it's going to look like. Yeah, sure. So last week we talked a little bit about doing something, whether it was in video form or in sort of paper email form regarding the statistics. So a lot of times we'll talk about the statistics for a, a certain horse, whether it's a trainer whatever the case may be. So a lot of times that could be a little dry when we're on the video and you can't really get into all the weeds. So one of the things we're going to do, like Howard said, is add this. So what I'll do each week is at least the, like the pick five, say, if we're doing a pick five on the show. And then if there's another track that Howard is doing in the blog, we're still figuring it out. 
then I'll provide a separate document, which Howard will include with the race day blog email, which would just lay out whatever stats I, de- I dug up for, the, for that race for those particular horses. Now, again, this isn't going to be every stat you could possibly come up with. This isn't us saying, hey, this stat, look at this horse. This horse has a really bad stat. You shouldn't bet it. This is just information. It's data points. And that's the way sort of I handicap. So it's just another little benefit we're going to give from the race day blog. We're going to send this out. If you guys like it, great. Hopefully we get a good response. If you don't like it and you don't care that much, fine. Uh, again, you don't have to read it. It's going to be coming anyway, most likely. So well, we really appreciate your feedback, though. So um, that'll be it. And if you have any questions, once it comes out, then we can talk about it maybe on next week's pod. I also want to let the uh, viewers know that I'm going to be sending out a survey uh, this week. It's just 15 questions. It's very short. It'll take you 10 minutes at the most. And... Because of our new logos and a new look, which I know you got a little sneak peek before the show, and maybe you can see a little bit at the top of the screen when we when I shift things around. Uh, merch is in the works. HHH Racing Podcast, and all you guys will be getting some free merch for now sure. Now we're talking. Now we're okay. talking. Finally. That's the only reason why we Pink, this is finally going to pay That's off. That's the only That's reason why we joined, right, Paul? That's what we talked nice. about. We've, we've, we've had the numbers skyrocket. Once I get that a T-shirt, I'm out of here. Yeah, the merch and the subscriber gang. That's it. <laughs> there you go. Um, I'll be sending out a survey, and if you uh, fill out your name on the survey at a certain spot, you at home will have a chance to get some free merch as well. So look for the survey. We'd greatly appreciate all four of us. And Jim, all five of us really appreciate if you just take a short amount of time to fill out the survey because I care about making the show the best it can be. Uh, we have a few quick comments, guys. Let's see what we got here. Uh, Ralph, uh, Ralph actually gave me the name. Uh, he knows a guy in New Jersey. Ralph, I'm not making any promises because I might want to use someone local, but Ralph, I, I do have your information <laughs> of your guy. Uh, Ralph was kind enough to send me uh, information about someone that does you know, T-shirts and pens and, and, and trinkets and whatnot, so thank you for that, Ralph. Um, Gemini. Gemini likes the idea, uh, Pete. Awesome. Thanks. And Ralph also uh, likes that idea as well. So here's what I need, folks. We're going to start. We're going to talk about the Preakness right now for about 10 minutes. That's it. And then starting at 830 Eastern, from then on, we're going to deep dive into your questions. If you have any questions at all about the Preakness, about anything in horse racing that you'd like us to answer, if you have a question, you want to know a little more about Pete or Paul or Kyle, anything within reason, of course, that they are willing to share about themselves. Uh, but I want to focus really more on horse racing. Uh, we love to hear from you. Please comment in the live chat. And again, we're planning ending approximately 9 o'clock Eastern this evening. We might go earlier. We might go later. Depends on the input. Guys, let's talk about the Preakness. Uh, Preakness stakes. Wow. The, this Trill Crown has been uh, cray-cray, as the card. <laughs> As the Kardashians, I think, say. That's what the kids say. I don't know. Uh, well, let's not say that again on the show. Let's, let's that's what that the, one off the listen, show. I've heard. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Kyle's like, he didn't just say that, did he? Uh, Kyle's, gonna, <laughs> Kyle's camera's going to send him might, a break, I might need to take Kyle this off point. the screen. I don't think he oh, can contain himself. Yeah. We it's just been, lost five. Pete, we just lost five. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm keeping it real here. We just gained yeah. five people. Keep it real. Um, the, the, the Triple Crown's been nuts. Let's go ahead and bring up. Uh, the PPs here and bring up the replay of the Preakness. I'm going to go full screen. We're going to show the Preakness. We're going to stop and start a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and leave you guys on screen. 
Uh, we all know the result, of course. Early voting wins at 5.7 to 1. Wow. And and I know the odds are something that we all want to talk about. Of course, Epicenter was second uh, with a what some people think was an interesting ride. Let's just say Creative Minister finished third, Brian Hernandez. Let's talk about the, the, the start of this race, guys. I'm going to go ahead and, and um, bring it on screen here. We're going to do it without the sound. What, what I struck right away, I think really what most people are surprised were right away, and Paul, I'll let you talk first, is, of course, Epicenter was the eight. He didn't break great, but he didn't great, you know, break badly. Let me freeze it right here. And, Paul, let me ask you this question. Do you put any blame on Rosario at all for the start of this race? Was he not aggressive enough, or just the horse just was a, a touch flat, flatter than he had been at the start of his recent uh, efforts? Uh, I think all of the above, Howard. Uh, I, After watching it live, uh, I thought it was a pretty bad ride. But then when I watched replays, especially the overhead, um, you know, I, I think we can't discount the fact that the horse was running on two weeks rest. You know, a lot of horses don't come back for that reason. Uh, he might not have been that sharp uh, early on. You know, they... They taught him to rate in, in Louisiana and Kentucky, and boy, the, he learned his lessons well. It, 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 but the thing that struck me, of course, I'm focused on early voting, Howard, and I'm watching it in my living room, having gotten home, running a, just a little more, Howard, to almost when they're into the turn. You know, that's Armanac. And right about here, I, I don't want to jinx myself, but it, and I never think like this. I am thinking I cannot come up with a scenario where early voting loses this race. I, 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 I could. I do have scenarios that he can lose, but as someone who had a win bet on early voting, I said I could not ask for a better situation. This is an, an ultimate situation going slow, sitting right outside Armanac. And by the way, Paul, I, I think we should mention this little move right here by Jose Ortiz coming up where he looks to his right. He sees no one there. He doesn't want to be yep. right right there to get into the two path was a very subtle but important move in my opinion. Yeah, and and, and I think Epicent is a great horse and, and he ran very well again. He's not beating this horse from five lengths back. I don't care if there's no. a mile and a 16th to go or not. So, you know, I mean, I liked it uh, having better early voting like you did. Um you know, and Rosario did, I guess, what he's supposed to do after that. Oh, he got to the that. rail and saved ground. And, you know, he was running late, and Jose wanted to make sure he didn't get there, and he cut over. But uh, he was, in my in my opinion, he was no threat to win the race from there. And I will take the five to one. We can, we can talk about the uh, – <laughs> every once in a while, we're reminded that we have a chance. Even if we don't win that much, Pete – we have a chance with this being a paramutual game because there were people who went to their windows or their ADW and said, please give me Fenwick to yeah. win. So that means the rest of us well, have a chance. We'll talk about the odds. I don't know if you guys yeah. saw this on Twitter. I found this fascinating. If, if for those of you at home have never seen this before, this is amazing. This is Epicenter. So Joel Rosario had a camera on Epicenter because I know there were a bunch of people, whether they were bitter or whatever. I know Ralph is on the uh, – you know, makes a comment that he thought Epicenter got a bad ride. Ralph, I hear you. Raymond, by the way, thanks for joining the show. Um, Pete, I'm going to let you talk about this. I don't know if you, if Pete, have you seen this video? Do you know what we're about to see? Because I, I thought this think, was pretty cool. No, I don't think I saw the Epicenter one. I thought I just saw the early voting one. So okay, I didn't well, see this epicenter is Epicenter, one. and watch what happens to him, because I think this is exactly what, you know, this is about. So he breaks okay. 
Now, what I was a little surprised, first of all, is I didn't think there's a chance that hell that Skippy long-stocking Pete would actually outbreak Epicenter. I mean, I was floored by that. First of all, I thought Epicenter was much faster early, number one, anyway. And number two, I thought Skippy Longstock would be taking back and coming from behind. But watch what happens. You see Armanac. This is a fascinating view. There's Armanac Sons, right? Now, to, on his left here, right here, this is um, uh, Happy Jack. This is Happy Jack right here. And watch, I and mean, this is simplification. So if people want to blame Rosario, that's fine. But watch what happens. I was running through. I mean, you know what happened in the race. But to see it from this view, wow. I mean, I, I mean, what is he supposed to do there? I mean, Pete, I mean, he, he clearly gets shut off. And what I didn't really notice during the race, the replays, I think this was more Happy Jack coming over. I thought it was simplification. To me, this is more, it's really you mean both Skippy, of them. Skippy, Skippy Longstocking. Skippy Longstocking. Yeah, simplification was on the rail, was the one. No, 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 the six. I'm talking about the six, guys. No, no, simplification oh, was the one, the six though. six is happy. The, the, the nine is to the Right, the did I say simplification? Skip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant happy, Jack. My bad. I'm yeah. sorry. But, I mean, clearly, Pete, I mean, how do you blame Rosario for that? Well, that I, I, don't, I don't think you can blame Rosario for that. I think you can blame him. Potentially, it's hard to tell with a horse if he – so he had a he had a split second to hit that hole between them. So I don't. It's hard to tell unless you're on the horse to know if he had enough out of the gate to hit that hole. My my argument. I thought Paul sort of spoke everything that I said exactly. Was my argument was try and hit that hole quicker. Try and get yourself in position, especially the way the track was playing that day. The track was playing pure speed. So you know, like Paul said, if he's back there, it's not like Epicenter's a monster closer. So he's back there. The way the track was playing, the race was over. I mean, I I was a little dead by this point. I had a little tiny something with to Epicenter, so I was rooting for him, but. At that point, I was like, oh, this, this, like Paul said, this race is over. Early voting, if he can't win this, or I thought Secret Oath had a shot at that point if she was good enough. But other than that, I thought Epicenter was done only because when they hit the backside, he never really tried to make up ground. Like once you get to the rail, great. You save ground on the turn a little bit, you get in position. I thought he should have been more aggressive too on the backside, trying to get closer. Now, again, maybe there was horses in front of him, but I mean, that's your job. Your job is to sort of get in position, not to just sit back. And Rosario, if it wasn't him who he's known for, this happens a lot. He has some rides. He's an awesome rider, obviously, but he has some rides where he's, when he gets in the back a little bit, he gets a little passive. He's not as aggressive as maybe he should be. And this this sort of thing happens. And he sometimes takes his horses out of the race. And I thought that's exactly what happened. And he made the move too late. I do agree with you to some extent. But I don't know where he could have gone on the inside to rush up. Plus, I'm not sure the rush up move really works well. Um so I'm going to disagree with you slightly, but that's why we have. Yeah, you, that's why you, we have these he conversations. Wasn't, he wasn't winning at all. I mean, if you have a if you have a horse who's just trying to get in the money, great. If you have a horse that you think could win this race, you do you do more with it. He wasn't because okay. there was no. My only argument would be there was no chance he could win, like Paul said, from where he was. So you basically at this point you can't win the race the way the track was playing, and with a horse like early voting chasing, you know. Sure who was dead speed. I mean, there was so much talk about an early voting rate. This is like a workout rating behind a horse. You know, you can, you can fly by at any point whenever you're ready. So I don't even think this proved that much that early voting can necessarily rate. He can rate behind, you know, cheap speed and garbage speed. So that was my only concern. And I, I okay. read the whole race basically. So <laughs> Kyle, I want you to address this at the bottom, Kyle, because I've seen, 
Raymond, I really appreciate your comment, and and and, I, and I'm glad you joined the show. But Raymond, I gotta say, I just I couldn't disagree more. Kyle, I've seen this this narrative on Twitter that there was some kind of nefarious activity going on with the IRAD who was on Armagnac or whatever. I mean, what what was your what was your take on the uh, on the on the you know the first quarter of this race, Kyle, in general? <laughs> I mean, I it, just my first thought is Ira doesn't. Ira is not going to take a mound if he doesn't think. Plus, Armanek, the only way he wins is what he's doing right now, and he yeah. got out to a slow pace. He had twenty four and one through the opening quarter, rushed up a little bit with forty four and forty seven and two, but I mean, like, and then to Paul and uh, Pete's point earlier, right at this half mile point, this is when I knew early, uh, early voting couldn't lose, in my opinion. If he was the horse everyone was touting him as, and how I believe too, because I was alive to doubles and pick threes, the only early voting, um, going that slow of a pace, and if Epicenter closes and beats me there, then he easily deserves to be, you know, the eight to five favorite in this race. But I, I, I again, I could not disagree more with the rabbit point. Like I said, and everyone's entitled to their own opinion, and I'm not going to yeah. you know, try and destroy someone for their own opinion, but I, there's... With someone with the IRAD, he's not gonna he's not gonna run a race if he doesn't think he's gonna win like that. I mean, then like I said, Arminax, the only way he's gonna win is going out to the lead like that. I agree. And Arminax's not the one that cut off Epicenter. If you want to be upset, be upset on the jocks of the six and the nine. That clearly squeezed the eight. Pete, now right here, Epicenter's right here. And we're just gonna take a few more minutes, guys. Would you have liked to see an epicenter like make this early move, or did you want to see him? make this early move like sooner once he realized that he was going to be too far back on the first turn. So Pete, I'm just trying to understand where you wanted Rosario to make that earlier move. At, at what point of the race would you like to see him be more aggressive? I guess. I mean, I would have just liked to, to eat him to ease his way forward there. Cause he, cause I figured the only way he was going to win that race was to be sort of when they hit the turn, he had to be sort of in the third, you know, and like third, not too far off. I mean, look right here. Where, but where is he going to go, Pete? In all honesty, like, where do you want him to go? I mean, I you got to, you got to make it, tr- you got to try. I don't know. Maybe he can't, maybe he had no way to <laughs> I'll go. Pull but... I read this wipe out like it's a turf race. Shit. You know what? At least <laughs> create I your own, create your, your own hole. Right. right? <laughs> at least I gives it a shot sometimes, but it, you know, I mean, my thing is, it, again, I don't know. I'm not a jockey. I'm not trying to tell a jockey how to how to ride yeah. a race. But it just at watching it live and even watching the replays, there was just not much aggression there, and it didn't. I mean, even now, he's still sort of taking his time. Getting well, he's there. asking. I mean, he's not whipping, but he's asking. I mean, yeah, I yeah, hear but what he's, you're saying. I'm just saying that there was no way to win the race. And it, to me, if you're on a horse who's, I think, still the best horse in the race overall, then you have to put your horse in position to win. That's all of my, my thought is. Paul, was, it, uh, you knew early vote. Oh, sorry. I was just saying you knew early voting had so much in the tank because he was just, you know, cruise yeah. control of that, that whole, the whole race. Paul, how much blame do you put on Rosario for this loss? Um, I put a little, uh, yeah, I, I gotta tell you how I have followed his career. I'm cursed by Rosario. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, it's just, you know, we all have those guys. We can't win with them. We can't win without them. You know, I've come to acknowledge. I used to say he was the the worst, really good jockey. I've come to acknowledge he's right at the top of the game. You know, he's won the Eclipse Award. However, I will say I honestly believe that there are times when he is going to do it his way, regardless of what the plan might be, and regardless of other circumstances, i.e., the track condition, the way it's playing, uh, etc. 
you know, once he got, once he did not get that horse out, he was taking that horse back because that's what he does. Now, earlier in the card, he had a tremendous front end uh, ride on Jackson Traveler, whom I also liked. And he can be very good on the front end. So he's versatile. I get it. But it doesn't mean that he can win all the Eclipse Awards. It doesn't mean that he's immune to not a great ride. This was not a great ride. You might you might want to say uh, it's it's not a bad ride. Sonny Leone gave Rich Strike a great ride in the Kentucky Derby. Okay, this is an average ride, whether it's Joel Rosario or anyone else. Doesn't mean it was a bad ride, but. There's no way he was winning this race from seventh or sixth going into the first turn. You know, I thought early, you know, I mentioned when we thought early voting might go to the Derby. I, I thought he ran better than it looked in the wood. You know, he, yeah, well, he, he got picked up. Well, that's, that's a slow track. Aqueduct in the winter we know is a slow track. It's tough to go all the way. Mo Donegal, ironically, with Rosario, got a great ride that day. Okay. Um, but, this was not a great ride. You might want to say it wasn't a bad ride, but it wasn't a great ride. Kyle, I love this move at the end, by the way. And I don't know if people notice this, but <laughs> I mean, completely legal. This sort of, you know, we're in NASCAR and I'm going to make Epicenter come around me just in case he had horse. It's right there. He looks to his left and he just comes over to the rail and puts Epicenter, not in tight, but that that's a completely legal move. And if you, if you had early voting, you have to love that move, even though it really had no effect on the end, end result of the race, though, right, Kyle? <laughs> no, but I know you called me right after the race, and I, we I mentioned that, and we mentioned NASCAR, and it's like it's just the blocking move. No, it's perfect. I mean, he's you know a horse and a hat or a, you know a horse length clear of him. He comes over so he doesn't get you know brought up the rail, such as a bridge strike. But um, I mean, it's a, it's a great ride by Jose noticing the noticing Armnack's going to fly by him for the lead just being able to reserve and take him at the end. And like I said, and I agree with him. I, it's, I agree with Paul. It's not a great ride by Rosario, but I wouldn't say it's a bad ride either, getting shut off like that and having to take back to the rail. But I agree, also agree with Pete playing with the track the way it played. It, it's just you're not going to win from six back, especially into a slow pace as through the quarter and a half mile. I want to talk very quickly about a few other horses. Secret Oath, who I didn't like in this race, I actually think ran a little better than people think because – Secret Oath is the four here. If you watch what happened early in the race, not you know bumped a little bit, and it's sort of rank here. I think now here you talk about aggression, okay? For me, Saya should have used. To me, he should have used and get up into here, guys. I I think this was a mistake. Instead, he sort of has a strength. Now I know the horse is not a front runner, but I still think he could have gotten up into here. Instead, he sort of has a stranglehold, and then is about to get pinched right. There, pretty, you know, a little bit of a check. And now Secret Oath is in last. And then on the turn, you know, she did make a move. She she did make, you know, maybe a move that sort of, uh, that that Pete would have preferred Epicenter make, that sort of early sweeping move you'll see on the outside. Very similar to the uh, Arkansas Derby, right, guys? Where she makes this move. The, the problem is it was a slower pace, number one. And number two, these are not Arkansas Derby horses. But you see, uh, Secret Oath did make a little bit of a move. My last question for all you guys is there's Secret Oath right there, but then she flattens out late. Any thoughts on Secret Oath? Um, Creative Minister ran a good second. Just any other thoughts in general, Pete? And I'm going to show the chart here in just a second. Actually, I thought it was funny because I thought a theory, uh, 
Secret Oath made the, it was like they were trying out the move earlier on Ethereal Road because it was sort of a similar move because that was the only horse that technically sort of came from the back, even though when they hit the lane, I think he probably yeah. was either in the lead or close to it, which it seemed like that's what they tried to do with her here was get her close and she just couldn't get there. I mean, I, I liked Creative Minister. I thought he had a shot to run well. He did. I, you know, I was impressed with him. I think going forward as he gains more experience, he could be something later in the three-year-old season when, when those other, when those late season races come. So I like him. I mean, secret oath. She's great for when she runs against the, the when she goes back to the Phillies and she's in the, the Saratoga races, I mean, she's going to be probably the the number one horse there. So she, I thought she, she ran well. Again, I just think she's a notch below. She can't get like, look, she 94, 95, 92. That just seems to be the range that she's in. So I don't think, I think staying away from the boys from now on is a good idea because I don't think she's going to take that extra jump, at least not this year, but where she is, is, is perfect for uh, against the Phillies. Uh, Charles B. Congratulations. I know uh, everyone knows that I was happy with the result, but um it obviously didn't work out for everyone. Uh, here's a name of uh, Roy. Roy, thank you very much for joining the show. I'm not sure I've seen you in the chat before. Uh, appreciate it. Um, Roy, I'm going to, I agree with you, Roy. Uh, and you know, it, it, I love having my co-host on because they're, they have such great knowledge and we can all have great knowledge and disagree. I tend to lead towards you, Roy. I think once he got shuffled back, the, the rush-up move just doesn't work. I think he saved ground, which was the best part of the track. Could he have moved a little bit somewhere on the turn, like Pete said? I I guess. I just don't know where he was going to go. I just think it was circumstances. Now, Joel might have lost his ride on a real nice horse. I blame Joel a little bit for the start, but I don't blame Joel as much as other people. That's just, And it's not because I had early voting. Because if Epicenter won, um, I would have actually benefited from that, too, for reasons I won't get into. But... Um, you know, uh, I I don't think Joel's ride was as bad as it looked. On the left side of the screen, everyone, uh, for those of you not familiar with Formulator, these are the buyers. Early voting, as I talked about on the show last week, I thought was one of the horses that could really take a step up in the buyer. He got a buyer top. Epicenter did what Epicenter did. So, I mean, listen, he ran another 102. If you believe in buyers, you know, he ran a real solid race. Grave Minister ran better than I thought. Kudos to Caleb Keller, who was on with us. I did not like Crave Minister. I mean, he didn't win, so I guess we were both right. Um, but he ran a buyer top of 100 coming off a two-week layoff. If you believe in the numbers, I'm a little – I don't know, guys. I, it's hard for me to believe that all those horses increased their buyer. We'll have to see how they come back. I mean, literally every horse in this race in the top five, you know, increased their buyer. I'm always a bit skeptical when that happens to me. Um, Fenwick, I have no idea what he was doing. Guys, can we talk about the odds? Because we have we have questions now. So let's get into the questions part of our show. Uh, we have, whoop, I'm sorry, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do that. We have a lot of questions that people are asking. And one question that came up, and again, if you have any questions now about anything, anything at all, the floor is open for you folks, for you people watching. Again, if you are uh, listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Anchor, please, below the video player, Type in your questions, and one the four of us will be happy to respond uh, the rest of this week. So, again, if you are listening to a, a, this as a uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or Anchor, please type in your questions below the video player. We'd appreciate it. Uh, guys, the odds were crazy. Pete, let's talk to, uh, first. I'm going to go ahead and bring this up. Again, this is from 
uh, Twitter, and this is care of Marshall Graham. Now, Mark, for those of you that don't know what this is, of course, you don't know what I'm talking about because I screwed up. Uh, let's actually show what I want to talk about. Okay. What everyone sees there, these were the odds, Pete, that uh, Marshall Graham, who is a economics professor um, at Rhodes College, he's a great guy. We've had him on the show. These are what the odds were supposed to be, Pete, based on the doubles from the black-eyed Susan to the Preakness. Again, for everyone at home that can see this, these are the odds that the that the the odds at post time what they should have been based on the doubles. Uh, what strikes you right away, Pete? And uh, let me read this out for people that are going to be listening. Epicenter 1.1, early voting 3.8 to 1. Secret Oath 4, Simplification 7.4 to 1. Creative Minister 9.3 to 1. Skippy Longstocking 24.8 to 1. Armagnac 28.7 to 1. Happy Jack 40.5 to 1. And Fenwick, according to the doubles, should have been 57.3 to 1. Pete, your first thought when you saw this. Well, I mean, your first thought is, and I think we actually talked about this on one of our derby pods, was sharper money is in the doubles, especially like Black Eyed Susan doubles, because that's not something that maybe the average player is going to play or even just a regular double into the into the Preakness. So the, you know, the, the, the non-sharper or the, the more commonplace money is going to be on the win bet itself. And that's why you see the skewed odds. And I mean, I think that's all it is. I don't, I don't think it's anything more complicated than the rich strike factor. The people saying, hey, look at an 81 shot won the Derby. Let me throw some money on Fenwick or my cousins and my dad had money on Happy Jack in, in real life. That was his horse because my son is Jackson. So you know, I, I understand that kind of money, and I think that's exactly what happened. And when you looked at the odds, I mean, I remember even the early odds, and you're going, first of all, Epicenter's a good bet. At when he was six to five, seven to five, he was nine to five at one point, and then early voting at five. I mean, those two were just obvious bets at that point when you see that. But I, I just think it's, I, I just think it's the Preakness, it's Triple Crown, it's it's non-sharp money, and the sharp money is more in the doubles. Paul, I want to address something that Pete said. I'd like you to address it. Let's just say, let's just hypothetically, let's say Epicenter wins the Derby and you don't have an 80 to one shot win the Derby. How much of that would affect what you see on the screen? Oh, huge, huge. He, he would have been odds on. Um, early voting probably would have been closer to where he should have been. And Fenwick would have been closer. You know, Pete, Pete's right. You know, to, to the degree that uh, some of the money that was won by a miracle on Derby Day, uh, came back on Preakness Day. You know, remember the morning line, more important than how the betting on Fenwick went, the morning line was 50 to 1, which is an extremely high morning line and an extremely justified one. So someone who's giving it no thought says, hey, an 80 to 1 shot won a 20 horse race. Why can't a 50 to 1 shot win a 13 horse race? And now all of a sudden... The horse went off at 13 to 1. It is the single most overbet horse I have ever seen in my days following this game. In, 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 triple, crown, wait, in, in triple crown races, Paul, in or any race? Any race I have ever paid attention wow. to the odds. Fenwick is the most overbet horse that I've ever and, seen. And that spans about, what, 95 years, Paul? At least, at least. And we've already established I'm the elder statesman, so respect your elders there, Howie. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, Kyle, you know, some of these odds were fairly accurate. I mean, early voting wasn't that far off, but, 
you know, four to one to five to five point seven to one is still pretty dramatic. Secret Oath was he was supposed to be. Um, your thoughts, Kyle? When you I don't know if you've seen this before, but any other things you want to add to what these guys said? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you just said exactly what I was going to say was, you know, you look at the horses during the lower odds spectrum and their odds don't change so much. It's kind of, you know, early voting from 3.8 to 5.7, secret oath from 4 to 5. But then you look at it's it's what happens on the high end of the scale. I mean, I I, I actually agree with Paul. Granted, my, you know, my length is a lot shorter than his. But to go from thanks, Kyle. That's re- <laughs> thanks for reminding everyone, Kyle. That's not what I. Now meant. we're gonna Come get on. into Paul was betting races before. Hi, no, Kyle no, was no. A, a twinkle was, in his parents' eye. He was okay. betting him in the and the, we know the road the, we're going down. Watching here. him run around the Coliseum back in the day. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul, when you were watching races younger, did they have that flag that they dropped like they used to do at Fairmont, Kyle? Okay. Or did they? <laughs> Right. Paul, I'm sorry. Okay, oh, Kyle. <laughs> sorry. Hey, I'm, I'm, I, I love it. Paul, yeah, we love give it. you crap for the same reason you guys give me crap because we care about each it. other and love each other. Oh, I love it. Go ahead, oh. Kyle. I think. But, I don't know. I think. <laughs> but I, I agree with. It. I mean, 57.3 odds in the double pool and 13.2 on the win end on the chart right now. That is just astronomical, especially for a horse that ran. I think in the chart it said a 44 buyer his last time out. It's just it's astronomical to think about, and I mean not even not only Fenwick, Happy Jack, forty and a half to one on the on the double payout, eleven point nine to one. It's those two alone. I mean that's what a 40, 44 point drop, and but from Happy Jack, that's you know a twenty nine point drop. I mean it's it's astronomical to me. I mean when I look at these odds on the screen. I, I think that's pretty much what the odds should have been. I mean, I if yep. those were the odds, I would have completely – actually, I could make the argument fine. We should have been 100 to 1, but it's but that's not going to be the case. So, anyway, I just want to throw that out there. I think that's fascinating, guys. I appreciate Marshall Dram, uh, Graham for tweeting that out. Guys, we have a lot of questions that are coming up in the chat. And, actually, I have a few questions that were sent to me. Let me address questions that were sent to me first and uh, earlier this week out of respect to them. And then, again, uh, those of you uh, watching – I appreciate a live. Please, please pour in those questions. And um, Pete, you actually have the capability of going back and looking at the questions as well. So, Pete, if you want to pop up a question that you see, feel free to go ahead and do that if you know how to do that through yeah, StreamYard. Feel feel free. Just give us a heads up that you're going to do that. Yep. Um, we have a question. My first question. This comes from Fred R. I've recently been introduced to horse racing. I'm interested in learning how to handicap. The data seems overwhelming. What should I look at first? What should I ignore, et cetera? Kyle, I want you to answer this question because you were an Arlington professor and you uh, spoke to people like Fred at the racetrack quite a bit, some of these newbies. And so, Fred, thanks for your question. Kyle, how would you answer that question? Well, I can tell you that there's three things that I always told. Um, there's two main things I always told people to look at. But the third thing, there's three total. Two things that are very easy for people that are first learning this game is – and when you're looking at a past performance for a horse, in the top right, there's a box that shows all of the horse's lifetime stats. You can look at how the horse has done in its life, how the horse has done at the track it's racing at today, how it's done at the distance it's running at today. And especially, like you said, at Arlington, being that it was a polytrack synthetic track, it it meant so much more to these people 
you know, you get horses coming from Hawthorne or Fairmount or whatever that wherever they came from that raced at Arlington. Granted, Arlington wasn't, you know, top of the top like it used to be. So, you know, those two tracks are coming from dirt to synthetic. So you like to look at where, what surface they're running on to see if they do enjoy the surface they're running on. And that's, you know, and it's very simple to read. There's four numbers across. First is starts, second is first, seconds, and thirds. It's very simple to read out of how many starts, how many wins do they have, how many how many times are they, quote-unquote, in the money. It's it's a very simple stat to read, and especially not only, you know, the surface, but the distance as well. It's the, it's the same formula, and it can give you a really good inclination on how the horse likes what they're running at today. And then the third number that I like to point out is um, when you look, if you're looking at DRF, you look at the buyer numbers, and you see... You know, if this if this horse has the highest number of an 80, you can compare that through the field. You can kind of, you know, uh, compare and contrast these horses and see, you know, who's the quickest and stuff like that. And those are the three things that the three simplest things that I pointed out to people that, you know, they really seem to get when they're just first starting. Thanks, Kyle. I think that's an excellent explanation. Guys, we're just going to have one person answer these questions so we can get through them. But Kyle thought that was well-spoken. I'll just put in my five seconds of two cents, and that is, I think the buyer number is, I guess because I'm a math teacher, but I mean, just look at the bold numbers and average of the last five or six races, and of course, that's not the best way to do it, but that would be the most simplistic way, right? Just look at the buyers. That's why you see the harness racing. Just like average the last, you know, four or five races, and you have at least some idea, right? In some sense of of who's live. Uh, This question was from Victor R. through an email from me. Will you please include Haddon Kevin for Woodbine? I've noticed amazing payouts, even though the base price could be 20 cents for pick fours, etc. Uh, Pete, do you ever bet Woodbine? And uh, if you do, how do you feel about that circuit in general? Not enough to to have a, a good feel for the circuit, but I'll bet it on, you know, again, I, I generally follow the big day. So if whatever, if there's a big day there at Woodbine, I'll bet it. I mean, I do like... The one thing I do like is it, it seems like a, at least the days I bet it, it seems like a pretty fair track. You know, it's not like super speed based. You can you can get a fair ride. You can get a fair run there. So I've always enjoyed handicapping it, but it's not one. You know, it's again, it's very sporadic one, you know, one big weekend at a time, but nothing, nothing where I'm following the circuit to understand everything about the track, the players, you know, the jockeys, the trainers. I don't follow it to that to that level. Um. Paul, I'm going to have you take the next question here. I'm going up into our chat. Um, Tanner has a question. Tanner like to know how you decide who to use as an A and who to use as a B. There's obviously a huge difference there. Uh, and I'm assuming, uh, Tanner, you're very familiar with. Actually, if this is the Tanner, I think I know this Tanner. If this is the Tanner, I, I think it is. Tanner, thanks for... Uh, Enjoying the show. I believe you partnered up with a gentleman that that uh, has been on this show before from my, oh, you're going to hate me, Tanner. I think, is it South Dakota or North Dakota? Sorry, I, th- I can't remember which one. I think it's South Dakota, if that's you, Tanner. Um, Paul, do you want to address that, please? Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, on a basic level, obviously, you're looking for your most likely winners to be A horses and to understand the A, B, uh, Oh, we lost your sound, Paul. We lost your sound. You using? Oh, you're back. It was it was coming in and out. Yeah, I think it's okay I, I, now. Ironically, I was had an incoming call from one of my aforementioned superintendents. I told you that was coming. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you need uh, to take that, Paul? We no, can... I'll, I'll, no, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll write it. I, I know what it's. I know what it's about. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Um. So I, I think 
a couple of important points. Um, I think you have to be, uh, you tr have to try to be pretty selective with your A's because that's going to affect your budget the most. Obviously, the more A's you have, you're using, you know, as we know, an all A ticket and then a ticket with four A's, say in a pick five and sometimes three A's. So uh, on, on any given uh, ticket, you, you have at least three A's. So if, if you're going three or four deep with your A's in every race, it's going to get expensive. Secondly, and I, and I think this is an important point, and, and I don't do a good job at this, frankly. I don't, if there's a horse that you don't really like who's going to be bet, my feeling is if you think he has a good chance to win and you just don't like him, go ahead and use him as an A defensively, but don't use him as a B because the odds are that your A's are probably going to be of lower odds. And now this horse, you're saying, well, I think they're going to bet him, but I don't like him. You know, now you're putting your say you only have one B in the sequence, you're opening the door for that to be a lower odds horse. So, you know, I think the more I play these, and as you know, I am a serial horizontal player. Uh, Pete and I, we won't talk about uh, our Friday afternoon black eyed <sighs> Susan debacle. I felt off. I felt so bad for you guys about that. Um, but, you know, and, and there was a case where, you know, it was much worse for Pete because he had his. I think A's and B's alive. I only had my yeah. A's alive. But I had I mean, you guys them, were so. you guys were so good in the first four legs. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so, go ahead. But but I think again, I, I the more I do it, Howard, um, I think it's you gotta you can't be afraid to get beat by a good horse. And and I think that's a that's not just for ABC. That's for any any wagering, you know. But in these sequences, you know, how many times are you alive to? Well, it's going to pay $180, you know, and, and I'm alive to one or two horses. You know, that means you spent too much to, to make not enough. Now, you know, Pete and I were alive the other day. We had a, you know, I think the lowest Pete was 1700 maybe. Yeah, my lowest was 32 because I had a dollar ticket to the but, A's and, and the, yeah, and then the top was like 17, 17 grand. Yeah, and, and so that's was, the way you, you know, want it to be, though. Like, right, again, that's exactly. the way you want it to be. Yeah, like I had my one of mine. Uh, I could have. It was a ten thousand dollar Divine Huntress, who didn't run that badly, by the way. No. Uh, you know, so I I think you gotta be tight with your A's. If you don't like a horse, don't be afraid to pitch him. Or if you feel as if you gotta use him defensively, you know, and he has a high likelihood of winning, you then you might as well make him an A because you want to keep him alive with your other legs, yeah. but. Using him as a B defensively, I don't think is a good idea. Tanner, there's books written by Steve Christ. He's the one that developed. You can exotic read betting. ABC. Read it. Yeah, exotic betting. Uh, Tanner, the, wor the worst thing you can do is have a horse that pays $4 as a B because you're spending a, a, lot, of, a lot of money on a very low price. If you if you really you know want to take a shot and, and, and value your money best, um, put that horse in a C. I mean, if you don't like a favorite, you know – then you really should put that horse as a C. That that's really otherwise you're wasting a lot of money. Hey um, Howard, can I can I do an early question that we had right at the beginning? Go ahead, sure. Put it dovetails into. So Michael asked, you know, what are the? He had a few thoughts. What are the use of the favorites in verticals? Use of alls and and use of singles. I think these are a horizontal question as well. I think it's sort of a, he mentioned verticals, but I think this is sort of a a horizontal question a lot of people have as well. So. 
I don't know if somebody wants to, I don't know if you want to tackle. Uh, you said you verticals to you, to you, is that to use of all? No, I think three? it's three different questions. Use of favorites and verticals, oh. use of all <laughs> and use of singles. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. He's a, he's a math teacher, not an English teacher. Yeah, not an English <laughs> teacher, obviously. The numbers uh, we, we, we want to talk about the fact that I actually was a journalism major. But anyway, that's all right. Um, wow, and now my screen went blurry. Uh, Kyle, you want to handle uh, the first question? We'll just rotate it around real quick. I mean, and actually, Tom Espinoza actually asked this as well, kind of um, – you know, when he said when betting tries based on value, I don't put two lowest odds in first and second. At what odds would you put those horses in first and second? And I think you guys also hit the nail on the head when talking about the horizontals is it's for me, it's always about creating a value line for myself. And the, and I know you, we've talked about value line on the show before, but the value line is what you think is the best price that you will bet that horse at or the worst price you'll bet that horse at rather. Yeah. So, like I said, my my value line for early voting you know, barring all the money that went on Fenwick and stuff was going to be seven to two. And if he was seven to two or higher, I was going to bet him and single him in my exotics. And that's the way it was. And that's the way it happened. And we won't talk about that. I fat fingered my trifecta, but it's okay. (laughs) Um, But I think it all comes down to when you, you should make a value line for yourself, especially on these big days where all this money can come in. If you think that that horse is worth putting in that try at that be- at that price, then I think you justified yourself to throw the favorites in. Like I said, I'm I was I wheeled a try on uh, Preakness Day where I had uh, early voting on top. I singled him on top just because he was my top pick. I used Epicenter defensively in second and third um, because I thought he could win the race, but I was um, I was fully taxed early voting. So I put I was four eight in second because I thought the Philly could run well as well, and then I had and then this actually ties into a second question use of alls. Um, again, it ties back to your budget. If I I did not like Armanac at all, I did not like Happy Jack, and I did not like Fenwick. So and I thought none. There's no way any of those horses could come in the top three. And <laughs> that's I, what I said about Rich Strike two weeks ago. Well, I, that's also, I, to be fair. I <laughs> no, I agree with you, obviously. Strike. I'm just having some fun. No, yeah. I know what you're doing. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think if if you don't like horses, uh, I take a, like you said, take a stand. Don't use them. If they beat you, then so be it. And you turn the page and move on to the next one. You can't be scared of throwing out horses if you don't like them just because you're afraid that they'll beat you. Michael, let me address the single question. This came up actually on Twitter last month, a little Twitter spat between Andy Serling and Brian Aragoni, both who guys I, I know pretty well through the podcast. And Brian, I've met in person. And Andy, I plan on meeting uh, next month. There's no one way um, to play horizontals and say you have to have a single, Michael. It does depend a lot on your budget. Um, I do try to find a single, but I try to find a single that's not the obvious single. Um, I know there's people on TVG. I know Dave Weaver tries to do that. It, there's actually, it's a method. It's talked about a separator. Uh, Matt Carruthers, whose father was big on doing that, talks about trying to find that single between, you know, three to one to five to one to really separate yourself. So, Michael, my suggestion is if you want to use a single, do your best to try to find a single that's a bit out of the box. Like, for example, no, I didn't. Well, actually, the podcast pool hit the pick five uh, uh, for 2500 by the way, for twice for a dollar uh, this Saturday. So congrats to anyone that's uh, part of the podcast pool. Um, but on the show here Thursday, I singled early voting um, with my um, 
caveman. Now, my caveman didn't hit because who the hell thought Chantal was going to win the first leg? But anyway, that being said, the kind of early voting single is the kind of single that I'm talking about you should try to find because if that one hits, you're really going to get paid. Let's go on to the next. Oh, wait, hold on real quick. I was just going to say, but don't be afraid to single. So sometimes well, you, you, you have to single the obvious horse because yeah, the obvious, absolutely. like Pizza Bianca the other day was pretty obvious of a horse. So you could get cute and try and beat her. And maybe she wasn't even the best of singles, but there's somewhere it's such an obvious single, even if everyone's going to have it, don't get too cute because if you have good opinions and price opinions in the other legs, that's where that could be your separator as Howard used. So don't be afraid to do it, but don't just do it right. because that's the cheapest horse well, in the sequence right. or something. Do it because you think there's no way this horse is losing. I'm not going to waste my money doubling up or throwing him out right. and then throwing a ticket away just for the hell of it. Well, yeah. just for clarification, I don't, I don't, I'm not just, you toss an obvious single. Yeah, sure. I'm just saying maybe you single somewhere else. Uh, by the way, Bruce, I, I like Rich Proloff. We'll try to get him on. We got a lot of TVG people. And I want to get some people on from Fox and, and as well, but he's, he's on my list. Um, this question is for Kyle and Kyle, the reason it's for you and uh, everyone else will understand why. This was a question that I got from Penn State Scott, who's been on the show. Uh, he sent me an email. How do we get new, younger horse players into this game? Because we really need to get those 20s and 30-somethings into the game to uh, to keep it vibrant. I mean, like I said, it's um... – and granted, it's you know not everyone gets the path as us where you know you get a track right nearby where you get to grow up and go there every day. So I think um, what you're doing, Howard, is a great way to get younger people in the game because young people like myself. I mean, I spend not only you know at work and stuff like that when I'm on lunch or whatever. I'm watching YouTube, you know, hours and hours upon a day, and especially in the um, if you know you're going to a um, a derby party or something like that, the, these videos that will get searched up on YouTube. I feel like podcasts like this stuff on YouTube is a great way to grow the game. And I know I talked about it on the after derby podcast, and this is kind of, you know, obviously out of our control, but something like rich strike winning and getting um, that story out to people, people will say, you know, wow, this horse racing thing is kind of cool. And then they come to YouTube, search up horse racing and then podcasts like this come up. I feel like um, expanding onto platforms that where, um, like you said, like the 20 year olds and stuff like that are using, I feel like is a great way to grow the game. And that's why, you know, this podcast is su something that's, you know, so great is that it can reach that dynamic. And I feel like that's a very good way of looking at it. Now, Pete, I know, you know, DFS is big, daily fantasy sports are big. Is there, there are, there is fantasy horse racing. Um, do you think it should be explored some more, Pete, and just, go sort of more that route. Cause I know the, a lot of the, you know, the, the millennials love the DFS. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I don't do it enough myself and I, I love daily fantasy and other sports. And I do think it's a, I do think it's a good way. I think maybe the, the method, the methodology for it could maybe be tweaked a bit, but I think it is a good inroad. I actually have a question for Kyle quick. It was like, so my thought is the one thing that I think horse racing does a bad job amongst the millions of things they do a bad job at is the sort of the marketing of the the nature of, hey, horse races are quick and people these days have short attention spans. And two things about horse racing that I love that I think they don't market enough is it's quick. It's a quick race. You can make money. You don't have to watch a three hour game. You know, you can make money or lose money quick. So the highs and lows are quick. And two, horse racing happens, what, 364 days a year, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And it happens from I could wake up at 
at eight o'clock in the morning and there's races. And when I go to bed at night at two, there's races. I could put TVG on and something's on. I think those two things where it's like, look, no matter what you're doing, what your schedule is, whatever's going on, if it's a random Tuesday, there's races. Let's take advantage of that. Let's make people think, hey, it's quick. You know, the TikTok generation where it's like, I like quick videos. Well, a horse race is a quick video by nature. And it's a quick way to, to lose again, lose or make money. And you don't have to handicap. You can look at a race and say, you know, my name is Kyle and this horse is, you know, Kyle's mission is running and I'm going to yep. put, put some money on it. So I think there's, there's things that are, it doesn't have to be marketed as the grand sport that it is. Cause I think all the, 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 the more longer lasting horse players already think of it that way. People today like quick, they like quick, they like short, they like videos. And, and I think they could take advantage of that and don't. Yeah, I mean, if I can definitely respond to that, I mean, that's how that's for me, that's the nail right on the head. That's how I get all my friends who, you know, uh, these past summers loved going to Arlington and they even went, you know, it's funny to see that I get them to go to Arlington one day and then all of a sudden they're two or three races in, they've been betting $2 show bets all day. They win one of them and they're like, this game's great. <laughs> I love it. But um, yeah, I mean, one of my friends, which I I still can't believe it to this day, hit a straight trifecta at Arlington for five dollars, walked out four hundred and fifty dollars richer, and he's like, "All right, so when are we going next week?" <laughs> I was like, um, "It's it's just uh, you hit the nail on the head. It's you know these. It's a great day out whether you actually want to care about the raises and get into the handicapping, or you just want to go out, have a nice time in the sun, drink some beer, and have a good day." I mean, it's I feel like you're right that it's not marketed kind of as, you know, just a kind of a, it's it's harmful. I won't I want to say harmful, but it's it's more catered towards the bigger horse players than it is to just the casual fans. And that's going back to Arlington. I feel like that's what they did so well for so many years is, you know, Sundays were family days. And I know Canterbury does that as well. I'm um, harping back to that. Say, they do a great. Canterbury and you know, you story. turn, you turn small betters into big betters by, yeah. <laughs> by getting them hooked. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm sure we all started as small betters at some point in our lives. So then you'd become, you know, become more ingrained. Go ahead, Howard. Guys. Yeah. If I just may interrupt, um, as we love talking about horse racing, we are, I'm going to definitively end the show at nine 30 Eastern. If any, any of you guys that are on the screen here have to leave, feel free. Cause we're going to be going over the time. We have as many people watching now as we've had, um, you know, all, all um, podcasts here. So again, for those of you listening live or who stand until 930 Eastern, if you're listening to this, um, you know, as a listen, as a replay, we're going to talk for about 23 more minutes. Paul, I'm going to let our wonderful friend, um, Tom Espinoza, we're going to answer this question. I'm going to read it because, of course, we have to keep remembering, guys, a lot of people are just listening at home after the live show. Uh, Tom Espinoza's question is, guys, when betting trifectas, Based on value, I don't put the two lowest odds first and second. My question, at what odds would you put those horses in first and second? Paul? Well, uh, first of all, I don't play tries that often, although I do occasionally. And I forgot. Uh, I, just, I, will, I just asked the, hor the serial horizontal player about a vertical play. But That's okay. I will, I, I will say this, <laughs> and I'll get to the question. I, I, I do think I have figured out specifically with trifectas the number one factor. And in my mind, it's field size. I will not consider playing a try with fewer than eight horses. And usually if there's eight, usually I'm looking for nine or more. 
uh, again, we're back to the math, Howard. You're, you know, there's the more combinations there are, the more chance you have for a payoff. Now, to Tom's question, I don't think it's a great strategy to, uh, you know, just haphazardly eliminate the first and second choice of the favorite from the first two spots. I will say it's probably a good idea not to put them together because if you get the favorite winning and the second favorite running second, you know, you need Rich Strike to run third, and that miracle already happened. Uh, <laughs> for but so I, I think it's not a bad idea to split them up. But I think to get value in the try, you need field size. And I think if you do have a lower price on top, which I think is fine, you really need that second place horse to have value as opposed to just uh, just looking for the value on the end. Uh, Tom, if I'm, I'm gonna toot my own horn for a second, Kevin Kilroy, who we've had on the show twice who does the simulcast feed from the fairgrounds great guy met him for the first time uh several months ago he was kind enough uh, he writes for twin spires and he actually asked me uh to sort of be a feature on one of his articles if you look me up tom um under like twin spires and um betting trifectas i would probably just look up howard kravitz trifectas they'll probably come up i talked about a um finding singling in your trifecta, a price horse. So Tom, let me just throw an option out to you very quickly. Find a horse you like anywhere between, let's say five to one, 15 to one. If you really like him, keep him a little bit on top but mainly back wheel him in second and third. So in other words, let's say the one horse you like and he's a price. Go a few horses, but with the one horse with a few horses, then go with a few horses with a few horses with the one only. So basically backwheeling or keying a price horse in each spot does not cost a lot of money and you can really hit some nice trifectas. Some of the best trifectas I've had have been playing like a six to one to 15 to one shot that I don't think could win, but keying that horse in second and third underneath. And then you can actually play for more than once. You can hit it for a dollar, dollar fifty, two dollars. I just want to throw that out there, Tom, as a possibility. But I, I agree with Paul. Don't let odds affect you that much. Go with the horses that you like. If you think in an eight-horse field that the even money shot and the three-to-one shot will come first and second, then go with that even money over the three-to-one over four or five horses, Tom, and try to hit it more than once because that will be, a what, a $5 you know, bet for a dollar if you go one by one by five. So yeah, don't – oh, sorry, Howard. Go, go ahead. No, go ahead, Pete. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and don't, real quick, I was going to say, don't be afraid to up the denominations on a try. People think of tries as 50-cent dollar, $2 bets. But, hey, if you really love something, you bet a $20 try where you have one horse, one horse, maybe two horses, three horses. And, again, that's a little higher, but maybe you can catch something. Depending on what the odds are, you could catch something. So just don't be afraid to fool around with the denominations. All right, Pete. You, Pete, you got this one. The good old hedge question from Dean G. When having four horses or so to win the last leg of a pick five in a nine-horse field, do you bet some horses you do not have in the final leg to hedge your bets? To hedge or not to hedge? What do you say, Pete? No, I'm a moron, so I don't. I'm not much of a hedger. So the, <laughs> I would say I've I've done it a couple times where if you know, maybe I'll do something where I'll, I'll put a horse, not necessarily a win bet, but I'll do, maybe I'll put that horse on top in a, in an exacto or a trifecta just in case. And then the horses that I like underneath, just in case that horse wins. Cause you, it's one of those. And I said this to you, Howard on the phone the other night, I think you always know, it feels like who the horse is that's going to beat you. 
you always know who you left off, who you're like, crap, I left this horse off. And I knew it because my on Friday, my cousin was like, what do you mean you don't have the nine? I'm like, thanks for the jinx, you clown. And and of course, that <laughs> too wins the race. But I was like, you you knew going in. So I'm not so a Pete, huge. Did you put pet, a win bet on? Just like, did you put a win bet on her or anything? Or you just no, no, no. And I, I would. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Okay. I'm not one who would put a win bet on a horse, but I might just use them over. My okay. horses just, but even sure. then, I probably don't. I just sort of ride it out. I have my opinions. If I lose, I lose. If I win, I win. Uh, Kyle and Paul, I'll let you answer, but let me just answer that question real quick. My suggestion: uh, I only hedge. First of all, I only hedge if I'm alive to a. I'll just throw a number, a four-digit score. Number one, number two. If I like the one, two, and three horse in the second in the penultimate leg, and let's say I don't have the four, five, and six in the last leg. I will bet doubles one, two, three to four, five, six. But what I'm not going to do is use horses I don't have, you know, in this penultimate leg and horses I don't have. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to hedge a hedge. Like, I'm not going to just mm-hmm. try to cover every scenario. If I'm wrong twice, then I just suck and I lose. So I will use horses I do have to horses I don't have. And then maybe horses I don't have to horses I do have. Hopefully that makes sense to people out there. But I will never do don't have the don't have then you're just wrong you're just wrong and now i feel like i'm wasting money kyle and paul do either one of you want to quickly talk about hedging and then we'll move on i mean yeah i mean you hit that's exactly what i was going to say is if you just trust your strong opinions and you bet your strong opinions if it's like you said if it's going into the last leg or the second to last leg rather then yeah i mean i might play a double into like you said that one horse that you know, I thought maybe could win. You know, maybe it's like a C is a defensive or a B or something like that that I don't have. Maybe I'll play that into a double into the horses I like in the last leg or something like that. Or as Pete said, I I I'm not a win bet hedger. A win bet hedger either. It's it's either I I play them on top and a try, and I play the horses I like underneath or something along those lines. But I I don't see enough value in hedging win bets, especially in the last leg. But for me, I'm like Pete. I trust my strong opinions, and if I'm wrong, then turn the page and so be it. That's just the way I am. Is I bet my strong opinions and I trust my strong opinions. Paul, hey Howard, I, oh, oh sorry, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I, I don't hedge much. I again, I look at the math. You know, if there's if I'm if I'm alive to four horses and it's a six horse race and the other two are thirty to one, then you know I'm certainly gonna throw a few bucks but howard if i can go backwards it, just to prove your point yes sir um and you'll be proud of me professor kravitz <laughs> on when we had uh uh, uh justin mistari's father as we jokingly called him on the show <laughs> right. you'll recall he loved a horse called gregorian chant in the yes. sprint on friday the day before the derby yes he did i kind of liked them but of course when i was handicapping the race i used them in my horizontal serial wager yeah but when the race came up i said you know it's rosario it's a turf sprint he's 10 to 1 i did exactly how what you said i keyed him second and third well the favorite won the race who i liked the 10 the rest be red and lo and behold i stumbled into a 40 to 1 shot yeah. running second yeah. and now you got an 1140 dollar try by keying a horse second and third so yeah. Every once, once every lunar eclipse, I make a good gambling decision. But you know, Paul, that happens. That I'm not saying for you, but in general, that happens more than people think. Where a price horse comes in to try underneath and can really, and if you can get them in second, it really pays because a lot of people right. throw bombs in for third uh, right. just because. 
Uh, Pete, did you, did you have something you saw in the chat you wanted to bring up? Or you- no, I, well, the question you put up real quick, I just wanted to say real fast to Gemini about the the people the people who would like quick, but they don't yeah, like yeah, the yeah, time yeah. in between races. That's yeah. the beauty of being on your phone. You could bounce from track to track. So depending, yeah. so you have to teach them that, because I mean, if I'm sitting at the track, I'll bet whatever race is coming up in front of me. So, which isn't the smartest thing, but. Uh, Tanner wants to know if he should start his own <laughs> podcast or become another one of the co-hosts. Well, Tanner, you're putting me really on the spot because if I say you should start your own podcast, now you compete against us. If I say you should become a co-host, now you're taking time away from these guys on the screen. So, uh, Tanner, I'll say, I'll tell you what, you, you, you prove yourself. We, the more the merrier, but we'll get you on the show, uh, Tanner, but th- thanks for the question. Don't worry, Tanner. Uh, Paul's about 107, so he won't be around too much longer. <laughs> so, you can take his spot. So, Paul, I, that game. wasn't me. That was not me this time, it's Paul. Just, it's just a waiting game, Pete. I mean, Paul's, by like, the way, Paul's like three years older than I am, so I don't even know what the Tanner, hell I'm about. I would tell Tanner the time to start his own podcast would have been before Pete and myself came That's on true. board. Unless he's got now it's cash. Now he's in epicenter land. He's too far behind. Unless he wants to over. You know what, Tanner, if you're lucky enough, you might get some some free merch like these guys are going to be getting. So, you know, that would be a positive. Uh, Kyle, Gunrunner, has been absolutely ridiculous. Um, I don't know if Roy is suggesting that we should be surprised or not surprised or just if you just want any, any quick comment on what Gunrunner is just unbelievable. I mean, that's the nature of the that's the nature of breeding. It's like it's you know people are so highly touting American Pharaoh, and it's not like his progeny have run horrible, but I mean we haven't seen another American Pharaoh come out of American Pharaoh. But Gunrunner, who you know obviously a good a really good horse in his own right, but you know some would say not to the level of American Pharaoh, but now he's producing this progeny. It, that's that's the beauty of the game. It's literally it's the one of the best parts about this entire game. But what I'm interested to see now is going forward is how much his um, his yearlings and his two year olds will go for now at auction, which it's I mean, it's probably just going to be astronomical. Speaking of breeding, Howard, can we give a, a shout out to the New York breeding program today at Timonium? Chester and Mary Broman, the best New York breeders of all time, a Bernardini Colt today at Timonium, New York bred three point. $5.5 million. What? Yeah. New York Red sold for $3.55 today? It was a bidding war between wow. Amir Zidane, you may have heard of him. Who? And <laughs> and uh, West Point Thoroughbreds. And uh, Terry Finley, I, who I, whom I love, was a, a great military guy. In the end, yeah. uh, didn't quite have the ammunition to, to take down Mr. Zidane. But $3.55 almost twice as much as the previous highest selling horse at this phasing Tipton two-year-old Timonium sale. Wow. And Paul's talking about West Point thoroughbreds, by the way, if people don't know. Uh, West yes. Point was, wow. That they is, won a big uh, race you know, with uh, Jackson you know, What was the female side, you know? Uh, yes, I do. Give me a second. Okay, he'll, he'll look that up. Again, we have, we're going to be on for about 10 more minutes, folks. Thanks again for joining the show. Any questions you have for any of us, please put them in the chat. We're getting to as many as we can here. Really appreciate the viewership here tonight. If you have a question, we're literally going to stay on for about uh, 10 more minutes. Tanner's excited to see the merch. Uh, so am I, because I haven't developed it yet, but it's coming. It's coming. Um, hey, Christine, Christine, Pete. thanks for the comment. Too bad yeah. I didn't cash any tickets based off of that because I was betting more horizontals than individuals and was, was missing that one. But yes, I did feel like the handicapping was great, but the money coming in was not, unfortunately. But thank you. 
You know, it's funny. Uh, Saturday, Saturday, I felt like I handicapped real well. Say, I talked yeah. to Kyle about this. I felt, I actually felt like I handicapped very well Saturday, and I, it's just little things didn't go my way, like uh, Sugar Ray two or whatever the, in the second race, who was eight to one morning line, had a brutal beat at like nine to five. The six horse, by the way, for those of you who pay attention to my race day blog, if you get my race day blog, there's a horse called Bad to the Bones who ran the third race at Pimlico on Saturday for Grand Motion off a layoff. It was the six horse, was 12 on Moyne line, got out of the gate about as fast as I would be getting out of the gate these days, got off very slow, got a very, very sneaky good effort running fifth, making the only horse making... Uh, doing any closing whatsoever. So remember that name, especially if you bet Mid-Atlantic, Bad to the Bones, who is on my race day blog. I'm not saying because I had it or I suggested it. Go watch the replay for yourself. was sneaky, sneaky good uh, as a race day blog uh, pick. But anyway, just things didn't really – Mr. Hustle got a three-wide trip in the in the, in the turf sprint, what, the, the one that Caratori won. Just, I had little things that just didn't go my way, but that's the way it goes. Smoking uh, Jay, huh, Kyle? Smoking uh, Jay was uh, – Closing, closing into a into a tough trip. That yeah, Karatari, I mean, they keep let he keeps letting them get away. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. it's the it, we call it the Karatari smoking J rivalry, and it's <laughs> gonna time. come back again. Pete, Pete, I threw this question up for you. Penn State yes. Scott wants to know if you got that statistical knowledge in your formative years at Penn State, the Harvard of the Mid Atlantic. <laughs> Hey Scott! Hey Scott! If I actually studied in school, like I study the horses, I probably would have been a lot better of a student. That's all I'll say. Howard, wow. uh, uh, that horse is out of a, a New York bred, also owned and bred by the Bromans, called G Note, who was a Medallia Doro mare. Was G Note was that a sprinter? It must not have been. One, There's no she way she was one for eleven lifetimes. So you won't. Okay. You'll, nothing. Wow. To, uh, I wonder. She that bro- horse, she that horse must be a serious, serious looker to get three point five five out of that. Breed. I wonder who. I wonder who Zidane's going to have train being the New York bred. I wonder who he's going to put him to. That's a fascinating question. Well, you know, it's a, it is a good question, <laughs> Kyle. But, you know, when you pay that much, you know, it, he may not be overly concerned with the breeding bonuses oh, yeah. in, in New York. You know, he, I don't think he's thinking of running on New York Showcase Day on Memorial Day that we have coming up, by the way, which is a great three times a year. The New York breds are showcased day before the Travers, which I'll be there. And, uh, Memorial Day, and then again in October. But uh, I, I, he's, I think he's still all in with Baffert, Kyle. I think he's just going to ride out that storm. Um, I can't. Who was talking? Was it? I think Pete. I'm going to have you answer this question first. K2 wants to know if we think turf races offer better value day in and day out. Pete, I think you just mentioned about field sizes, or was that Paul? I'm sorry about turf racing that was paul that paul was do paul, you want i agree yeah we'll let paul answer this one paul you want to answer that first do you think they're just turf races in general offer better value and if you think that's the case paul do you think it's because it's the nature of turf racing or is it because turf racing i think in general probably has larger field sizes yeah i was going to say i think in you know that's the number one factor in general they do have larger field sizes because there are fewer of them uh and you know uh fewer opportunities. But if I had to give a one word answer to this question, I would say yes. Um, I, I do think uh, there is better value. You know, if you play the New York circuit, like I do on a pretty much daily basis, you gotta, you gotta maneuver Mr. Brown and decide when 
when you want to try to beat him at your own peril. But uh, yeah, yeah, I would say there's typically there's good value there. Pete. No, I agree. hundred percent. I think unless you have a big Chad Brown, I feel like there's not as big of favorites either because of the bigger field. So the money gets spread a little bit more. And also I feel like I always get the feeling that turf races generally are a little fairer than dirt races. Dirt races in America have become so much speed favoring these days where I think you get a fairer shake in turf races. So you're not always getting the, you know, eight to five shot who jumps on the lead and and runs away. So I, I enjoy turf races more. I wish there were, I wish there were more of them. Kyle, we've seen our share of turf races, whether Arlington was, you know, at its best or whether, whether it, you know, came down to the sort of unfortunate ending that it did. Uh, as a handicapper and as a Arlington professor for years, how do you feel about turf versus synthetic? And uh, you think there's more value in general with the turf racing? I mean, if you're just going basic straight Arlington, I mean, it's a thousand percent more value. And just like I said, just speaking from Arlington experience, it was always better value turf racing, not only field sizes, because I mean, synthetic races, especially the first few on the card, you'd get, you know, six horse fields, five horse fields and stuff like that. Granted, you know, the turf, the turf crop was always better at Arlington than it was at um, and the synthetic, just basic, just being, you know, um, how good the Arlington turf course was. Um, but I fully agree with everyone here. I mean, it's not only the bigger field sizes, but I feel, yeah, like I said, whether you have, um, if you don't have one of those monsters in one of those races, i.e. Chad Brown day is what I used to call it back Arlington million day, uh, 2019 when Chad Brown won every single one of the big stakes races, that's when we donned it Chad Brown day. But, um, yeah, if you don't have a monster, I mean, yeah, you could definitely get a fair price. I just wanted to mention someone put in the comment uh, about, value i think kyle you explained this well the value line uh, you can get value at even money in fact mm-hmm. i i can't recall the horse one of the biggest win bets i've made all year was a six to five shot that i thought should have been one to five i couldn't believe i was getting six to five i think it was out at san Anita, if i recall and he won so uh value does not mean bet long shots that means mm-hmm. is that and, and matt benears talked about this a lot please listen to him he's excellent with value lines you know, value line means the horse is a much higher price than you think he should be. It has nothing to do with anyone else. It's just your value line, you know, and, and that determines you don't have to have a long shot to win. Um, guys, we are going, I'm just reading. Yeah. Um, hey, can, right. I, can I say one before you? Chris, yeah, go you, ahead. You We're going to wrap up the show after your comment. Go ahead. You responded to Christine about, she mentioned, you know, give a shout out next time the horse is going to run. Just yeah. for people who might not know, and I saw Vail Place mentioned this, you could use like Equibase Virtual Stable, where if you you go to their app or you go to their website, and I'm not touting Equibase, that's just the one that I happen to use, but you could put your horse in and then you'll get emails. You can get emails and it'll say, this horse has been yeah. entered in so-and-so race. And then on race day, they'll tell you this horse is racing today. So it's just a good way that if you see like a, Hey, that horse got a weird trip. I think I want to keep an eye on that one next time back, especially if it's not one that's going to be, you know, epicenter, you're not going to, you know, when he's going to run, but if it's one that's like on a random Tuesday that you're not going to know if that horse is running again, throw it in there. Cause at least then you can keep track of them. That's yeah. how, that's how I keep track of my horses nowadays. All, is, the, all of them. Yeah, I get, I, mean, so I get. You know, you can get, you get, um, enter notifications. You can get race day notifications. You can get stuff like that. Like I said, every time, I'm like, I don't even remember why I stabled them. That workouts. Yeah. I'm like, I don't even know what happened. Why I even have this horse? 
Well, I'll just I'm gonna wrap up the show, guys. With again, if you're watching live, I, I'm I'm assuming people have seen this on Twitter. Maybe you saw the beginning of the show. We have a new logo. I just want to show everyone. There is our brand. One of our brand new uh, logos there with some ugly dude on a horse and two sharp looking guys to the left and right uh, of of the HHH of the horse there. This is our new HHH Racing Podcast logo. This will be one of our feature logos on merchandise. Uh, I had a, a had it professionally done. Actually, to be honest, it was a contest uh, with a company, and we had several people working on it. I'm very pleased. I hope you really enjoy. Feel free to comment how you feel about the new logo. There's other logos um, as well. I can put a uh, sort of side. Uh, I, I, that's okay. We'll, we'll show it later. There's other logos that will be coming. Um, so thank you very much. Please make sure you subscribe, of course, to the channel. Hit the notification bell. Uh, join the race day blog. By the way, the podcast pool is going to start again ve- next week. So please stay in tune Thursday when we have Billy Koch on from Little Red Feather Racing. And we'll talk a little more about the new podcast pool for June, which is going to start very soon. Guys, any closing thoughts about maybe a Belmont thought? Any horses going, not going as we finish up the show? I'll just leave it open to you guys for two more minutes. Anything you want to comment about going forward the Triple Crown? Guess not. Okay. Well, 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 I, I, I would say, Howard, that the Belmont itself, you know, you're not going to have Epicenter and you're not going to have uh, Zandon and you're not going to have uh, early voting. However, however, that day is now one of the five best days of racing on the calendar. Oh, the Met yeah. Mile, forget about it. Speaker's Corner hooking up with Flight Line. Flight Line worked lights out the other day. Um, and you know, Aloha West, it. Paul. Aloha West. Aloha and Aloha West. Yeah, it's going to be in there. Yeah, he's not going to beat either of those two horses. So no, don't probably get not. Too unless they hook. Unless they I, hook I know up. he's got the yeah. Midwest connections, and you, you're obligated. To, I, I don't like him there as of right now, but anyway. But yeah. uh, no, it, it is a uh, you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, I'll be, we'll be there Friday, Saturday. Uh, it, it's a great. They call it the festival, Belmont Stakes Festival. And uh, it, it's th- that Saturday card is just outstanding. So I am very much looking forward to uh, getting down to my uh, third favorite racetrack, beautiful Belmont Park. Uh, I Don love it Pops. There. Don Pops, look out. Here comes Don Howard. Pe- Don Pepe's Friday night. You're going to meet Mike, the legendary Mike. You'll have your picture taken with him. I have a picture every time I'm there. I actually, in my photos on my phone, I have a, separate folder for just Don Pepe folder <laughs> photo. That's wow. how many times I've been there. So come one, come all to Belmont Park. Yeah, it, Friday is a very underrated great card, too, with a lot of stake races as well. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've had a fun time. Really appreciate all your questions. Please comment in the comment below the video player. Do you want to have more of these Q&A sessions? Guys, I'm open to anything. Please look for a survey that I'll be sending out soon. I would really appreciate if you filled out that survey. It'll take a very short amount of time. We want your input. Hope you join us on Thursday with Billy Akach from Little Red Feather Racing. We're going to talk about Santa Anita this upcoming weekend. For Cal Roscoe, Pete Visco, and Paul Halloran, this has been Howard Kravitz in episode 143 of the HHH Racing Podcast. Thanks for joining us. A little wave to the crowd, everyone, as you say goodbye. We will see you next Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Take care, everyone. Have a great night.